Okay, well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to be here with you today. I hope uh, you made it through the first day of Daylight Savings Time. This is the worst part of it. To everyone out there without young children, um, enjoy this extra hour of daylight that you're getting because those of us with small kids are paying dearly for it. And so uh, my daughter Dagny, is, she was exhausted, had to be dragged out of bed this morning, and uh, she was out in the hallway in between services and was just walking and then fell flat down on her face, sprawled out and started crying. And I just, I understood what she felt in the deepest parts of my spirit. Big, big shout out to our setup teams who are out here at 5.30 in the morning, according to their bodies. They are so excited about the service time change in a couple weeks where they'll be starting set up at 7 a.m. instead of 6.30 a.m. It just couldn't come at a better time of year. Well, hey, guys, we're, we're so excited to have you as we start this new series today called How to Get Rich. How to Get Rich. Rich, we want to talk about money for a couple of weeks. Here's the deal. We, we know that all of the world around you is telling you how to either get more money or how to spend your money. In fact, I know that for me that some people are really good at making money and some people are really good at spending money. And I am definitely in the latter category. I, I am so good at spending. I'm just kidding. a joke. But the, uh, the marketing and advertisements and the direct Facebook marketing and the Instagram, how they listen to you and they put all the ads up, works so well on me. I, I am ready to buy anything you are ready to advertise to me. I will buy it. I'm in. I'm ready. And, and here's what I've learned through this journey of life as I've had to say no more and more as, uh, as I try to be better and better steward of my money is that the world has got a big plan for my finances. And it's always, it, there's always the next get rich quick scheme out there. There's new ways for us to invest our money or make more of it. And here's the, here's, here's the idea with this message is that I know that the world around us has, has a lot of plans for your money. I believe that God also has dreams for your finances. And uh, I would like to just spend two weeks really teaching one passage to talk a little bit about how we can serve him better with our finances. So today I'm going to talk really about the mindset. It's kind of setting up the T. And next week I want to really talk specifically about the, what God considers treasure and how he wants us to view and use money. And so um, there's, a, there's a, a, a process, there's a thought behind why we're doing it this way. Because today I really want to talk about your thinking. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, it always starts up here. It starts in your minds. When Paul's talking about how we can be changed and start to live more like followers of Jesus, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts in the way that we think. And I think that the way as a country, as, as a people, as a culture, that we think about money is severely broken, that there's something wrong that we are trying too hard to make something uh, always about the natural and about the way that the physical world sees it when there is spiritual forces at play. 
And so I want to talk about the spiritual forces and reset our thinking a little bit this morning. Here's the passage I want to teach from. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's, t- he's, he's telling him how to lead people well. And he gives this specific passage about how Timothy should lead rich people. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. This is what I want to talk about today, this first half. Let me tell you what we're going to talk about next week. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul gives Timothy these basic instructions. And the way that it's translated in most translations is, is to rich people, is that he gives these instructions to rich People And maybe you're like me and you've read that or you've glassed over that before and you've just thought that does not apply to me. Thank goodness. Here's some, here's some advice for somebody else. I, am not, I do not identify as rich and so this isn't going to affect me much. And, and so what I want to do in the first part of the message today is help you get rich so that this passage will apply to you. And so this is the idea. And here's why I think Timothy got these instructions for rich people. I think it's because the Apostle Paul had been doing what he was doing long enough to know that most rich people are not very good at being rich people. And this is true statistically speaking. As Americans, the more somebody's income increases, the more their giving decreases. Our our generosity declines with the incline in our giving. And the top five wealthiest countries in the world are also the top five countries in the world for suicides. See, something is deeply broken in us spiritually. The top three nations in the world for wealth are the top three nations in the world for addiction. Something inside of us is off-center. It is, it is positioned incorrectly, and it is causing us to serve the wrong things, pursue the wrong things, believe in the wrong things, have the wrong mentalities, and it is making us sick inside. And so let's look at some of the things that rich people tend to do and why I think Paul needed to give us these instructions for them. We'll see if we can relate to any. First, Rich people don't like to admit that they are rich. There was an interesting poll that Gallup did where it sent it out to 10,000 different middle-class Americans and asked what they considered rich. What, do you, what number specifically do we consider rich as, an, as, a, as a nation? And the number that was agreed upon by 10,000 middle-class Americans was people who make $150,000 or more. And so maybe you're in that category in here today, and you're thinking, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't feel, I don't identify as a rich person. I don't feel that way. That doesn't seem right. And so Gallup thought you might respond that way. So they did some more digging around. And the next uh, category that they went to was people who made between thirty-two dollars and $45,000 a year. That would be the median income for most of Asheville. And so what do you consider rich? And they said, well, $75,000 a year. And people, some, some of us are nodding our heads. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. That's, I mean, some of us are, are, if you're at that bracket, you're thinking, no, definitely not me. That's very wrong. I'm definitely, absolutely, completely not rich. And so Gallup also went the other way. They went to the people who made $150,000 a year and said, what do you consider rich? 
And these people said $400,000 a year. No doubt about it, that is the exact mark. That is the number. That is where you begin to experience richness. They said, well, then let's check on those guys. And so they went and talked to the people who were making $400,000 a year and said, what do you consider to be rich? And the people who were making $400,000 a year said, mm, probably somewhere around a million dollars. Somewhere probably around a million dollars is where we would say we feel rich. And so God said, okay, this is great. Now, we, now we're getting somewhere. So they went and talked to the people uh, who were subscribing to Money Magazine. Now, I, I, honestly, I don't know who, I imagine if you're subscribing to Money Magazine, you're learning about money, maybe you have some. And they said, what do you guys think? Who, who are the rich? What, what, what's the line for being rich? They said $5 million a year. In income. That's when you're definitely rich. And so then Gallup said, okay, we're almost done with you people. And they finally went to the final category of people who are making $5 million a year and said, do you feel rich? Like, is it you? Are you the ones who are rich? And they said, no, it'll be when we get to $15 million a year. And so here's the bottom line. This study conclusively discovered that nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. The um, problem wasn't in the amount of money that we had. It was in that no matter where we got, the line kept moving up a little bit. In fact, the, the world economy paints a different picture. Adjusted for inflation and cost of living, if you make greater than $32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Congratulations. You guys should be cheering for that. Most of us are in the 1%. This is great news. In fact, that's, that's $10,000 a year lower than the average income in our city. We live in a very wealthy city. Almost $42,000 a year in average income. Here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, in the first moment of a series about called How to Get Rich, uh, here's the spoiler. How to Get Rich, admit that maybe you already are. And here's what I mean. Now listen, I know this is Asheville. Maybe you're sitting out there, you're like, look, I've got 12 roommates in a one-bedroom apartment. Look, pal, I get the gimmick. I am not rich. Here's the point I'm trying to make, is, is that you, you do not have to have accounts in the Cayman Islands to think about money the wrong way. In fact, most of us, most, not all, but most, have enough to meet our basic needs and then a little bit extra left over there. And I would say that that is where we start to really experience the problems that Paul is trying to address as he writes to Timothy in this letter. And, and so the first problem that we have and that we see is that rich people don't like to admit that they are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Arrogant as if to say, no, what I have isn't enough. No, what I have, I made, and it's not quite enough. And this idea that it's not enough, that it's not quite where it should be, leads to the next problem. Rich people are often plagued by discontentment. Discontent runs rampant through our culture. Through so many of us, we just feel like if we could just have a little bit more, 
then things would be better. If we, could, if we can put our head down and, and push in and work harder and sacrifice a little bit more and, and just get that next line, get that next promotion, get that next job, get that next place, then we'll be happy. Then we'll feel like it's enough. And yet the story told over and over again is that once you get to that place you thought would be enough, there's something else on the horizon. But we're plagued with discontentment. Solomon, who was thought to be one of the richest kings in, that ever lived, understood this all too well. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. I didn't know they had direct mail marketing in Solomon's time. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? And yet so many of us struggle with this discontentment. We live for one day. One day, one day I'll have enough to buy that house. One day I'll have enough to take that vacation. One day I'll have enough so I can work less and enjoy my family more. One day, one day, but then one day comes and there's another day waiting for us around the corner. And the discontentment continues to grow and grow and grow in our hearts. Now, maybe you don't struggle with any kind of financial discontentment, but this sort of thing exists. I'll prove it to you. Did you know that there are people who have functioning working kitchens? I'm talking a sink where you turn that thing on, water just falls right out of it. They've got an entire box in here where they can keep stuff cold for as long as they want. Chinese leftovers will last months in this device. They have got another box that gets 500 degrees. You cook food in it inside your house. And they'll tear all that out and throw it in the garbage because they wanted a different color. Maybe you don't ever struggle with discontentment, but I know people, I've heard of this, where you have a functioning cell phone and iPhone comes out with a new model. So we stand in line for hours to go give them $1,000 and our old, already functioning phone to get the newest one. Maybe, maybe you can't relate, but maybe you know somebody who could. This kind of discontentment runs through our veins. Our culture perpetuates it. Our culture wants us to have discontent because it's good for somebody else's bottom line who is also trying to feed their discontents. It just keeps going, and it keeps building, and it keeps going and going and going, and, and we think that one day it will end. And that's where we also get it wrong. As rich people live with this false sense of security. I can earn my way to feeling secure. I can save my way to a sense of peace in my heart. There will be a moment where I've got enough that I don't feel this cancerous discontentment inside of me anymore. I know I can get there. I can see that goal. I'm going to sacrifice the time with the people I love right now so that they will be better provided for later on. This is all just for us. This false sense of security. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, and they imagine it a wall too high to scale. And the key word is imagine. A rhetorical question. How much would you have to save to prepare for all possible eventualities? The answer is more than you have right now. 
Unless you are Jeff Bezos, you cannot save your way to real security. But here's what happens. We think that we can. And we put our hope in our wealth. And we start to pursue the security that it provides, the safety that it provides. And we expect it to bring us joy, happiness, peace, comfort, the knowledge of a good future. And we take those things from the only one who can actually provide them. And this is the great plan of our enemy. Because the greatest competition for our soul isn't some nefarious spirituality. It is the selfishness that leads us into these mentalities. It is money. The Bible talks about money more than any other issue. There's no mention of hell or evil spirit or there's no mention of false God that gets more conversation throughout the whole story of the Bible than money. Because God knows that this is the chief competition for your soul. And so we've got to get it right. We've got to shift our thinking. We've got to release some of these, these ideas that we've had poured into us since the time we were little. It's time to let them go and shift away from the economy that we live in and make our way into God's economy. And honestly, there's just a few minor tweaks, decisions that we can make that will get us from there to where we need to be. And so uh, just three quick things. And then next week, I really want to get into the idea of treasure and what God considers treasure and how we pursue treasure. Here's some decisions that we need to make today to get our minds right so we can talk about it. First, I will be grateful. I will be grateful. I don't tell you all of this to make you feel guilty. I do not want you to feel guilty I don't, I don't talk about, it's okay if you want to remodel your kitchen. I'm with you. You got yellow linoleum. Get that stuff out of there. Put in some subway tiles. I'm with you, okay? I want Joanna Gaines to be impressed with my house as much as you do. But the difference is in the heart attitude. I don't want you to be guilty. Guilt is a terrible motivator. Our Father in heaven doesn't want you to be guilty. He went to great lengths to remove all guilt from you. He wants you to feel grateful, contented, and grateful. Gratitude. Gratitude resets our minds. Uh, see, if we are not grateful, we're proud, prideful of what we've built, what we've collected, what we've been able to accomplish on our own. But gratitude turns our hearts and our minds towards the one who is truly providing it. In the Old Testament, the um, temple was a temporary tent. It was a tabernacle, a housing of the temporary housing of the Spirit of God, which was intentional on his behalf. He knew that that was never going to be the permanent solution, but we, we people, man, desired a permanent home for the Lord so that they could honor him better. And God said, that's okay. I, I'll give you the blessings for that. And so over some centuries and some time, there was a lot of blessing poured out on the people of Israel. Financially, they became very secure. They received a lot. God richly provided for them. And it finally got to the place where David was able to collect enough to begin planning to build the temple that his son would eventually construct. And when God finally said, it's okay, I want you to prepare for this, he was so excited that they erupted out in celebration. And David wrote this song, in 1 Chronicles 29.10, it says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly 
saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. David started out as a shepherd without anything, and now he's the king of Israel, and one of the most, he's their most celebrated king of all time, and he's become very wealthy. And the way that he begins this whole journey to building the temple of God is not to declare how many taxes from the people will pay for the temple. David goes into his personal treasuries, his money, the money that is his and for his children, and he takes out a huge sum of it and gives it to the temple of God because the gratitude that he feels has caused him to be generous. He says, God, everything I have, I have because of you. I know that my wealth comes from you. My honor comes from you. All that we've built, it came from you. And so it is my privilege to return some of it to you. When we understand that it is not from us, that it's not our power, it's not on behalf of us, that everything we have comes from him, it changes our hearts. It changes how we steward the money, how we spend the money, how we use the money, and it changes how generous we are with the money. It shifts. See, I think that there is a big difference in how you treat something that is yours and how you treat something that somebody is giving you. I know that there was a, a lot of times growing up where I would get to drive my parents suburban. They were suburban people, you know, the 10, 20 passenger Chevy or GMC. And I had a lot of friends and I wanted us all to ride in one car. So I'd always ask my dad, can I borrow your suburban? And I will tell you that I am one of the worst drivers you have ever met. I don't, I, I don't anymore. I don't really drive fast or anything. I'm very inattentive and I have a really hard time paying attention. It's so hard for me to pay attention. I don't know why. There's just trees and stuff everywhere that I want to look at them. And so I, I know that in my Jeep, and I drove a Jeep at, as, as a young man too, and this is a car with steel bumpers and big tires. So when you run over stuff, it's just not that big of a deal. You know, it's like, oops, you know, and you keep going. Well, I know that anytime I had the keys to my dad's Suburban, I treated it very, 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 very differently. Like I was locked in. Like my friends would start talking to me, I'd be like, stop it, be quiet. This is my dad's car. He's, he knows. He knows where every scratch is. I was just, I treated it differently. Like I respected it more and, and, and I, I gave it more honor and, and I was paying more attention to the whole thing. And here's what I think is that rich people don't like to admit they are rich out of arrogance. It's mine, and it's not enough, and I need more. But when we get our hearts right, and we begin to understand, this isn't mine. This is passing through my hands. This is given to me from the Father above. He's blessed me, He's blessed me with the, the skill and the ability and the wisdom and the talent that I have that has earned it, and he has opened up his hand of blessing to me and given me favor, and that is why it is here. And so I'm going to treat it a little bit differently. I'm going to show more honor. I'm going to show more respect. I'm going to show more gratitude as I move through it. David says this at the end of this psalm, verse 14. But who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? God, who am I that you would bless me so much that I could give so generously? Everything comes from you, and I've only given you what comes out of your own hand. See, it changes things. David's heart was different. He was so wealthy. But he didn't look at his money the way that all the other wealthy kings in the world did. He understood where it came from. 
Don't feel guilty if he has blessed you. In fact, in Timothy, in Timothy he says, I didn't put my notes close enough together. In Timothy, he says, so that they may take, mm, I don't know where it is. Ah, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God doesn't give you money just because he wants you to feel sad about having it. He's okay with you enjoying, with, with you doing things for your enjoyment, with giving you a little peace, a little bit of comfort. It's okay. He's okay with that. He doesn't want it to become a God in your life. He doesn't want the money to be more important than the people you could bless with it. He doesn't want you to start to feel like, I've got this, this is on me, it's mine, I'm doing a great job with it, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. He wants you to feel like, God, thank you. Uh, who am I that I should be able to give as generously as this? Everything that I have comes from your hands. And so I only return to you what you've given to me already. And that's the second thing, is we've got to decide to be generous and to lead with generosity. David led with generosity. He was the, the first. We're going to give to the temple of God, and I'm going to show you how to do it because I'm going to do it first. I'm going to lead with generosity. This is why our whole staff, every single person on our staff, is required. We, we expect them to tithe. All of our leaders, we expect them to tithe because we believe that if we give God the very first of everything, including our finances, that, that it will put all of our other priorities in a better position. And so we want to lead that way, and we believe that all of us should lead with generosity. It says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where goes your money, so goes your heart. And honestly, there's two different directions you could take it, two. The first is mortgage, bills, fun, car, boat, the whole nine yards, everything, savings, all of it, me, 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 me. And that is a path that leads to discontentment and unrest and, and something missing inside, trying to fill gaps and holes and and addiction, and all of the things that kind of just fall after that because my heart has completely fallen out of alignment and it's just going to keep going further and further in that direction. That's one way. Second way is I lead with generosity. And the very first place that my heart and my money goes is to God. And I lead with generosity because who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And I believe if you do that, if you lead with generosity, if you give God the first part of your finances, not the leftovers, your heart will move in his direction as well. And instead of discontentment, you will know peace and joy and satisfaction and comfort and all of the things that he wants to provide you because I am not relying on myself to provide it. I understand that there is only one in heaven who can actually make me feel peace and it's, it's, it's not more things. It's not more stuff. It's not that brand new car. It's not that, that awesome pair of limited release shoes. It's not a better, it's none of that. It's the one who made me, who cares for me, who knows me intimately. Money doesn't know you, and it doesn't care about you. It will show up. It will leave just as quickly as it came. It's always changing the value. You shouldn't put your hope in something where the value is different tomorrow than it was today. And our Father in heaven is different. He cares for you. He created you. He made you. He has dreams for you, purpose for you. And he never, ever changes. 
And so we put our hope in him. Acts 20, 35 in the message says, you'll likely not go wrong here if you keep remembering what our master says. You're far happier giving than getting. Lead with generosity and your heart will follow in the right direction. Arrogance will start to fade away and you will be positioned the way you were made to. And that leads to the last thing. It's the last decision that you need to make. And this is it. This is what all, all we've been talking about. It's the same thing. I will put my hope in God. Do not rely on money to provide you safety and security. It cannot. It is an inanimate object. It cannot bring you peace. It will never bring you the comfort you think it will. No, amount, no, person, no person ever reaches a goal where they feel like this is it. I'm totally fine. I'm comfortable. Unless... Their hope isn't in the thing, it's in the one who gives it. I will put my hope in God. If we allow money, things, possessions to become our hope, we will never know what it means to be rich. You will never know what it feels like because just like everyone in that survey, the line will just keep moving. You'll never get there. <laughs> one day we'll always just be off in the distance. It'll never, ever come. But there is one that you can place your hope in who will allow you to understand what it means to be rich, really rich, and real blessing. The kind of blessing that doesn't show up in a bank account, but that can make you feel complete. And maybe you've spent your whole life wondering how to feel whole. And you thought maybe it's because of the background I have. I came from nothing. And if I can make myself something, maybe then I'll feel better about myself. Maybe then I'll feel like I've I've done something worthwhile and good, and so you just kill yourself going to work every day, putting your nose to the grind, trying to make it better and better to get better, to gain more. Or maybe, maybe for you, you just, you just feel like the way that you can define your self-worth, how good of a job you're doing is by how much money somebody says you're worth. I need you to know that there is one who has made you and from the very beginning has said you are enough that there is one whose opinion of you has never changed, will never change, that he doesn't value you based off how much you have or how much you can earn or how much you can get, that his value for you is immovable and it costs a life. He's willing to sacrifice his very son for you that he values you so highly. And that is where you need to place your hope because he will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never go away from you. He'll never put distance between you and him. He is always there. Matthew 6, 24 says, nobody can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not a both and. See, our enemy, he's got so many different tactics to distract us. And one of the ways that I think he goes after followers of Jesus is to try to make us think, oh, I can serve both, God and money. I believe in God. I give some here and there to the church, and I do that, and that's all great. But I'm going to build my own security. I'm going to set up a great future for my kids and my grand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide a good, I'm, I want to do the best of everything, best of everything for everybody. I can do both. Something starts to break in our hearts when we go in that direction. Something shifts. Discontentment starts to consume us from the inside out. 
It distracts us from the purpose we were created with. You have a job to do. You were made to honor God and glorify him by using your gifts to serve others and make Jesus famous. And this desire for money, putting our hope in money, distracts us from that more than anything else. It's our enemy's great tactic. You can't serve both God and money. And so it's time to put our hope in the right place, to know what it really means to be rich, to pursue it, to be grateful for it. When we have, to say, God, thank you for blessing me that I could be such a blessing to others. God, thank you for honoring me in this way, that I could honor somebody else. But I don't put my hope in it. It doesn't define me. I don't put my trust in it. I honor you. I hope in you. Just, it's just a little shift. It's a little shift of focus, a shift of attention. And it changes everything. Don't put your hope in the provision. Put your hope in the provider. He is the one who provides for us. So I will not put my faith in riches, but in him who richly provides. Let him care for you. Trust him to give you hope and peace and a future, and he will do it. And then when he does, lead with generosity and just keep the cycle going. If you're in here this morning and you've had a gap in your heart that you've tried to fill with everything under the sun, everything, you, you can't figure out what it is. And, and now may, maybe you've been on that path where you think it's success in this world that will define me. If I can get to a certain place, somebody will give me the recognition that I need. They'll fill the gaps in my heart. I, I'll feel whole finally. And maybe that's you and you just, you're just going down that rabbit hole right now. Just hear me tell you that that path only leads to more wanting and more hurt and more heartache and more disaster. There is one who has already given everything you ever need. He gave his life for you so that you could come into relationship with him and know what it feels like to feel whole. If you're in here this morning, just all you have to do to receive that gift, to start living differently, to think differently, to move away from the, this path that the world has already mapped out for you and start going down one where our Father in heaven has dreams for your life. It's just a decision. It's a prayer that you say right now. You say, God, I want you. I want to give you everything that I am. I want everything that you provide. I want to be yours. If that's you, if you're ready to make that decision, every head bowed, every eye closed. You just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for trying to fill myself on my own. Forgive me for every sin and every mistake along the way. I believe in you. I believe that you have more for me, that everything I have comes from you. And so, God, I choose to follow you. I give you all of my life from this moment forward. Everything I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.